0: Welcome to PSQH, the podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of PSQH. On this episode, I talk to Dr. Huda Hashad, Vice President of Clinical Operations at AccessDx Laboratory, about using genetic data to prevent adverse drug reactions. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Dr. Huda Hashad, Vice President of Clinical Operations at AccessDx Laboratory. Uh, Welcome, Dr. Hashad.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for being here. And I was wondering if we could start off by having you tell me a little bit about yourself and Access DX.
1: Absolutely. So um, I am uh, trained as a pharmacist and a clinical pharmacologist, and I am a VP of, of clinical operations here for our company. And uh, Access DX uh, Holdings actually has a multi multiple services. Uh, including diagnostic capabilities. We run a a high-complexity molecular diagnostic lab uh, in the Houston area. And we also have uh, technologies and software around clinical decision support where we actually uh, make the results of these tests more actionable Um, We match them to uh, clinical information that we have in these databases to actually help providers utilize uh, these results uh, accordingly. Uh, We also have uh, multiple tools and software that supports supports operational uh, uh, and logistical aspects around uh, access to testing. Uh, We work with multiple partners. Uh, and uh, we're expanding our portfolio of capabilities around the genomic testing. Um, so this is a little bit what, what we do at, uh, at Access DX.
0: Great. Thank you for that. Um, so today we're going to talk about using genetic data to prevent adverse drug reactions. And I was wondering uh, if you could explain how genetic factors cause adverse drug reactions.
1: Absolutely. So um, we all know, and 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 I think this is common sense: is the way we respond we respond to medication uh, involves a multi-step and rather complex process. And uh, within our bodies, we have several players that are involved. Uh, these are you know different little proteins that help us uh, respond to medications for many years we recognize that these facts and we recognize that there are differences between individuals uh, in terms of how they react to medications. But for years, this science, which we, we know as pharmacogenomics uh, because of the genetics aspect of this variability was confined in academic research institutions as well as pharmaceutical companies where these studies were conducted And we found associations, we knew that some individuals because of their genetic background uh, or genetic variability will respond differently. Uh, But these associations with these medications were only included in drug labeling and prescribers, the clinicians did not have the methods to identify these individuals. So they were aware that a portion of the population might respond differently to a medication Uh, But they did not have the methods to identify these individuals. However, what happened is in the early 2000s or so, the technologies to read the genome, uh, to decipher this genome became very affordable and accessible to all. And this prompted several clinical organizations to become interested in offering to their provider these tools. Uh, helping them identify those patients at risk, um, which they knew about, but they couldn't identify them. So this started this sort of, all this uh, idea of understanding genetic signatures uh, uh, that can explain variability in drug response. And there are some very established associations between genetic variations and, for example, the enzymes that allow us to metabolize medications. Um, And this is um, relevant to several commonly prescribed medications. Just to give you an example of how it can exist is, we know that many of us can have genetic variants that makes us rather what we call poor metabolizers for certain (laughs) enzymes, which means we we don't efficiently uh, cut these medications to eliminate them. And therefore these medications, Will remain in our bloodstream and it will expose us to more side effects uh, because of these accumulations in our bloodstream. And as you can imagine, this group uh, will be very, very, very sensitive to a number of medications. And for example, if we take one enzyme, it's called cytochrome P4502D6, it's just a metabolizing enzyme that allows us to eliminate drugs. This could be between one to six percent.
0: Of a population
1: depending on the ethnicity.
0: Hmm. Um, and what are some uh, examples, I guess, of medications that, you know uh, you know depending on your genetic factors, uh, could lead to an adverse reaction?
1: Absolutely. So there are multiple examples. Um, uh, so for many years, it was recognized that um, uh, for example, in oncology, we had multiple medications that were developed that would work only with certain individuals, with certain variations, but genetic variations, not in their genome, but in the tumor, in the cancer cell. Mm -hmm. So the best applications happened in oncology, where this idea of using a genetic signature of the tumor to target medications Uh, gave very, very positive outcomes. And oncologists are very comfortable and have been using these tools for many years. The novelty here and the examples uh, that I mentioned that have to do with metabolism, for example, uh, could be applicable in other domains, such as psychiatry, uh, cardiology, uh, multiple uh, medications uh, taken for common disorders, such as, you know, Uh, gastric reflux or GERD, Uh, uh, and for example, if we take the the example of uh, in psychiatry, we know that for certain antidepressants that are commonly used, uh, which are the SSRIs, this class of medications that are often considered first-line therapy when an individual Mm -hmm. is diagnosed with depression, we know that many uh, individuals will require a lower dose of these medications if they harbor certain variations in their metabolizing enzyme. The enzyme is a different class, it's CYP2C19 enzyme. So now you can imagine that for multiple scenarios, uh, for a disease that can be debilitating and where individuals actually uh, um, can you know experience side effects, prompting them to stop their medication, this is an opportunity for us to identify them and to tailor these doses appropriately and getting them to the efficient dose without harm. So this is one example. Another example would be for many uh, commonly used opioid medications to treat pain. Um, these medications, some of us actually lack at uh, the enzyme that will allow us to activate uh, these medications for them to to, uh, to become active so we can derive uh, pain relief. Um, so the example here is this time when these individuals have these genetic variations, they're actually not going to respond to the pain medication and these people will remain uh, in pain suffering, uh, and this will prompt, unfortunately, sometimes the doctors to prescribe even higher doses, which we know is not really the, the, the best thing to, to tackle this uh, huge problem of opioid epidemic. So there are multiple um, examples where we, you can, by identifying the genetic variation, you select the right agent, but sometimes you actually get to the better dose. Um, and the efficient dose uh, without uh, causing any harm or without experiencing therapy failure. Uh,
0: so how would this be used? Would it be sort of done as an initial uh, screening or test to to even bef- before there's any kind of uh, uh, you know prescribing done just to determine you know what kind of uh, you know factors you're dealing with here?
1: So this is a good question so implementers that have been uh, bringing the, the, the pharmacogenomic testing to the clinics have um, actually uh, put this and implemented these um, this tool through two in, in two manners um, the first one and many institutions actually started uh, with what we call reactive testing what is reactive testing reactive testing is you offer testing uh, at the time where a, a specific medication is considered. So, for example, uh, the best implementation happened for many years for an antiplatelet agent called Plavix. Plavix is a medication that is often prescribed after an individual has, for example, a stent uh, post-MI uh, and uh, a stent is placed. And in order for us to prevent this uh, thrombosis or this in uh, stent thrombosis and clotting of that stent, uh, this agent is prescribed usually during one year after um, the the intervention. So many institutions have uh, included testing as part of their protocol when an individual is actually scheduled for a stent event. During the scheduling, a test is going to be run. It's going to reveal the genetic variation and the phenotype that we're interested in identifying. In the case of Blavix, what what we're looking for are individuals that uh, either lack completely this CYP2C19 enzyme I mentioned previously, or have a decreased activity in that enzyme because these individuals will not activate and will not derive benefits from plastic. So, we need to give them another antiplatelet agent that's not affected by genetic variation. So, when the test reveals um, uh, the, the, these at risk individuals, what happens? These organizations will actually put these individuals on a different agent. And the beauty of this reactive testing is, because it was implemented over several years, we have now positive outcomes where we were able to prove that by doing this approach, we have actually decreased the rate of secondary events and these, uh, uh, these events of in- instant thrombosis, which, you know, will prompt another rehospitalization and the individuals requiring another stenting procedure. So this is one way of implementing which is called reactive. What is also uh, some organizations are putting in place is what we call preemptive testing. Preemptive testing is you don't wait for an individual to be receiving a medication. You actually can identify based on uh, certain diseases, disorders, or or group of individuals those that are likely to be prescribed multiple medications because they have uh, certain diseases, comorbidities, they're complex patients. You test them for multiple genes, it's Mm. called a multi-panel approach, and you store that information in a a separate database or you push that information later into their medical record and this information becomes ready like um, an allergy signature or uh, your blood type. And each time a medication is prescribed, there are tools within um, the the medical record, there are clinical decision support tools, uh, which we we do, for example, with with our companies, that will alert the physician if there is uh, a risk, if that individual at risk And proposes a corrective action. So this is what we would like to do as a future, is this preemptive approach of patients that are really candidates for this testing.
0: And how widespread is this testing right now?
1: That's a very good question. So many organizations, so when it became, it was mostly large academic and research centers Mm -hmm. that would have a research arm, would have a pharmacogenomic champion in house, uh, and they would start uh, this program. But now we are seeing uh, in the in the recent years that multiple actually smaller organizations uh, are uh, are are moving in implementing, mostly because they have seen uh, some of these positive outcomes that were published uh, from these first implementers. Uh, So now we have a lot of hospitals, even smaller hospitals, that are uh, putting this in place. We have a lot of uh, um, cancer centers uh, that are pushing to be testing their individuals, to preventing them from receiving, for example, toxic doses of certain chemotherapy uh, medications that are uh, commonly uh, used.
0: Does this require more training to maybe not so much as conduct the test, but to, to interpret the results? Uh, do you have to kind of, you know, get educated on sort of these techniques?
1: So yes, there are, so we achieve education and really helping the physician utilize this information in two ways. First, education, you, you can't, we can't just put this information, even if it's in the electronic medical record through clinical decision support, without educating our healthcare providers. Mm-hmm. So there is a need and there is a, a large effort uh, here in the United States to um, adding uh, as part of continuing education sessions, as, as part of webinars uh, in educating the physician about what this new science is, what this new tool is. That's, that's done again through uh, multiple professional societies, publications, etc. cetera. Then the second way we bring this into something that is useful is really making it easy to use. And we do that through two ways. We do it by making, by helping the physician focus on the patients that will benefit from it the most. We're not there at that level where all of us will have our pharmacogenomic profile added uh, maybe, um, you know, soon before we get the medication. So for now, we're building tools to really tell the physicians these are the patients, these are the cohorts of patients within your organization for which you need to focus on. Then we make it easy for them once they identify these individuals through our our um, uh, tools or our clinical decision support to ordering this test very easily and getting a result in a timely manner. Um, This result, of course, is best to use when um, when you have it before you prescribe the first dose of medication. So the ordering process needs to be easy and within their clinical workflow, within their EMR. As you know, doctors rely heavily on their EMR. Then once the results are obtained by a laboratory, That's where it is very important to provide the physician with something that's actionable, concise, clear, and easy to understand. Uh, Doctors don't have a lot of time going over documents and guidelines and articles. So our role within our company is to take all these professional guidelines, all these science, all these articles, and to compact them, to package them in a way that doctors receive something that is very concise and clear in terms of intervention is, we explain what the genetic variation is, but we don't spend time on the genetics of things. We spend time on what the impact will be for this medication versus that medication, Mm -hmm. and what are the corrective actions? What can you do? Because of this patient having this trait, whether you have to give him, you can select from a different, list of medication, or you can correct, you can still give them the medication, but you can correct, you can adjust the dose. You can either increase the dose or lower the dose. Or in sometimes you, you just warn them about the possibility of an issue so they can monitor more closely that specific patient.
0: How long do you think it'll be before this becomes a commonplace uh, thing for you know, everyone to do?
1: So um, uh, we have seen uh, an enormous expansion of uh, first the evidence for pharmacogenomics in terms of publications and science and new uh, findings, but we have also seen in the, in the past years uh, a large number uh, of communities uh, uh, and hospitals that are embracing this. I think there are two factors that will speed up the process. First is uh, the payers and the reimbursements. Mm -hmm. uh, Landscape has changed. Multiple tests for multiple medications are now covered by not only by Medicare, but also private insurers. And this is uh, encouraging to many implementers uh, because it it removes the burden uh, of cost and it uh, allows us to tailor this to, uh, to patients. Uh, the, so we we are seeing an enormous uptake uh, to by multiple organizations to bringing this, and also if you have seen in the in the past years there is, common the general knowledge the general population, is, has been exposed more and more to the use of genetic information mm-hmm. and how genetic information can inform an individual about their wellness. So we're moving to not considering pharmacogenomics as something that's uh, a reactive, you know, after something bad happens. It's a test that you order if something is not considered. But this moves to this part of these wellness programs that are now uh, being put in place and preventative approaches that multiple healthcare organizations, especially when they're tackling with complex individuals, are putting in place. So, so almost like a. A preventive screening mm-hmm. uh, methodologies. So we are seeing this uptake um, uh, increasing. I, I believe that I think within the next five to ten years, uh, this is going to be common, and many of us will probably be surprised if these tests are not offered uh, to the the clinic or to the hospital we uh, we are seeing our healthcare providers uh,
0: for. Are these tests expensive to run?
1: Um, uh, It depends whether uh, the methodology that's used and it depends on how comprehensive they are. Uh, The prices have dropped tremendously uh, and they're uh, pretty affordable. They used to be around the thousands of dollars. Now it's in the realm of a couple of hundreds of dollars. Uh, So I wouldn't say these are extremely expensive. Again, the approach we're doing for uh, for pharmacogenomic, it's not reading your entire genome. So we're not sequencing an entire genome of an individual. We're just basically probing the genome for some specific variations that we know have high actionability. Uh, and these tend to be very affordable and accessible to many organizations. And that's also um a, a reason why the payers are willing now to commerce to cover the cost of some of these tests,
0: yeah, it sounds like it's you know right in line with any other test you would get run
1: exactly, any complex test that yeah. you 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 will have, and again, we have to remember that the results of these tests are to be reused multiple times, right because the minute it sits in the your patient record, um you can each time there is a medication these uh, tests are utilized this results in it is again uh, queried um, so the utility it's not a one-time test it's you do it and it over the lifetime of individual you can use it over and over again
0: well this is exciting uh, information hopefully uh, hopefully yeah, you know fairly quickly this will be a, a fairly common uh, test for people to get run uh, dr Hishad thank you so much for joining me today this has been great
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: That wraps up Episode 68 of PSQH, the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. You can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again, and stay safe.